You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. All right. Good morning. Merry Christmas. All right, all right. Well, great being with you this morning. I want to make sure that you guys are all ready to be inviting uh, family and friends to your Christmas uh, services here at the church. This is, we put on a bunch of them for you. So we have, uh, how many of you guys are going out of town for Christmas? Let me just see some hands. Anybody going out of town? Just one or two of you. So, all right. So you guys are going to be here. That's great. Uh, A lot of folks travel out of town. That's why we do the Thursday service. So folks that are going out of town can catch a Thursday service at North Valley. Um, Me and my uh, uh, wife and and kids, we've been inviting folks. My son showed up the other day at Sandra Day O'Connor, handed out tons of donuts with uh, his sister, Riley. They invited uh, classes of, of students. So we're expecting some folks from Sandra Day showing up. My neighbors, I've been inviting my neighbors. Um, One of the uh, uh, families in our church were baking cookies. They made over 2,000 cookies. Uh, It was an operation of four days. It was 100 pounds of sugar. That's a lot of sugar. Uh, 60 pounds of butter and uh, a four-day operation. And then we went out and delivered cookies to all all sorts of folks. So um, hopefully you're getting the word out there. Um, No greater time to get people connected to Jesus Christ and his church. Amen? We need hope for the holidays. We need the joy of Jesus Christ. And uh, God chooses to use the church. And you are the church. So be the church. Share and show the love of Jesus Christ this holiday season. Maybe you got a family member, a coworker, a neighbor, a friend, just bring a little joy and tell them, don't say, hey, you should go to church. That sounds mean. You could just say, hey, will you join me and my family and let's uh, be a part of a church service together? Because if it comes across as, hey, man, you need church, buddy, uh, it can come across a little uh, uh, rough. But uh, this morning, what I want to do is uh, I want to help paint the theme and the storyline of uh, this message. It's titled Joy for the Journey. Um, Joy for the Journey. We're looking at the life of um, Jesus Christ and the uh, miraculous event, the birth event of Jesus Christ. Uh, Joseph and Mary are going to go on a journey uh, to Bethlehem. Uh, We'll pick up in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 this morning. And uh, the idea that I want to help develop is that the Christian life is a journey and God wants us to have joy in the midst of our journey. Um, here's what the Bible says. Of James 1, 2 through 3 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Um, we're commanded, this isn't an option, this is the half-brother of Jesus, James, um, later writing to the church and telling them, consider it pure, what? Joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials. How many of you would say you're in a trial right now? Be open and honest and just wa- wa- wave your hand. How many of you would just came out of a trial, a challenging circumstance? How many of you think you're probably going into a trial Uh, pretty soon. There's a lot of questions about the economy. Our whole country could be going through a significant trial in the upcoming days ahead. Um, But the Bible tells us we're to have pure joy uh, whenever we face trials. This morning, the title of the message is, is Joy in the Journey. So let me help you understand the journey 
and what it means to have joy in the midst of it. Um, the starting point, I think, for the Christian journey is salvation. It's when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. It's a whole new journey ahead of you. You get a whole new life. You get forgiveness of sins. You're giving, uh, given righteousness. You're in good standing with God. That's when it begins. How many of you can remember when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ and things started to change? Raise your hands for me. That was a game changer for me. When I became a Christian, it changed everything. The journey of the Christian life begins at salvation. It's when you get saved. You get saved from uh, the penalty of sin and, and death, and you get saved to a good life with God. It doesn't mean it's going to be an easy life, but it's the starting point of the journey. The middle part of the journey of the Christian life is what's called sanctification. It's right here and now. It's growing every single day of your life. You should be growing at some level or another. It's growing step by step. You're following Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. And so the Christian life is a journey. And sanctification, when things get hard, sometimes things get really hard in life, and God will even discipline us sometimes. Sanctification can feel like the good Heavenly Father is um, disciplining us, and it can feel more from sanctification to what I call spanctification, <laughs> where you feel like, man, I'm getting disciplined by God because of the decisions I'm making or whatever. So that's sanctification. That's where we're at right now. But the, the tail end of our journey is called glorification. It's the moment when you and I meet Jesus face to face. We transition from this life to the next. And hopefully we hear from our Lord these words, well done, my good and faithful what? Wouldn't that be it? What is the ambition of the Christian life? Be faithful. What is success as an American Christian? Faithfulness. What is truly raising kids for greatness? Faithfulness. What does it look like to be a Christian and live for Jesus Christ day by day? Faithful servant. What a great example we'll find in the life of Joseph and Mary this morning on their journey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We do pray that we would see ourselves as a faithful servant. Not that we would just see ourselves as that, but others might see ourselves of that. And Lord, might we hear that of you so that we can experience more joy in the journey. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Luke chapter two, verses one through seven. We're picking up right now. And um, Luke chapter two, verses one through seven. Uh, Joseph uh, has was pretty shocked about the whole idea about Mary, his engaged or his fiance, that she was pregnant with child. Uh, Mary uh, panics a little bit and she runs off once uh, this, an this angelic announcement came to be. She runs off and she finds refuge at Elizabeth's house. Elizabeth uh, speaks encouragement, prophesies to her, affirms her, encourages her. Mary breaks out in a worship song. They spend months together kind of recouping, uh, connecting, enjoying each other. And then she comes back. And this is where we're kind of picking up. And so I don't know the conversations that Mary had with Joseph, but Joseph was already, has already moved from, I don't like this, I don't know what's going on, to an angel showing up and saying, Joseph, you need to calm down. You need to take Mary to be your wife. That which is uh, given to her is from the Holy Spirit. You need to take Mary as your wife, and you need to name that baby, help me out, 
Jesus. So now they come together. I believe they're probably married at the point in time where uh, Luke picks up and, and kind of helps us with the understanding the details of the birth of Jesus Christ. But this is a journey, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to get a, a journey experience of understanding the life and the journey um, that Joseph and Mary had. And I think it parallels our storyline too in so many ways. It's a real historical event, this birth of Jesus Christ. It picks up in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, the historian Luke writes, In those days the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world, uh, should, be, uh, that, that all the, the world should be registered. Let me tell you about Caesar Augustus and make sure you understand this is a, a real historical event, the birth of Jesus Christ. It's not myth or fairy tale. It's a real event. Um, Caesar Augustus is a title. It, his real name is Octavius. Uh, Augustus means majestic one or honored one. He was the adopted, uh, adopted by the great Julius Caesar. Augustus was known for his organizational genius, built cities, militaries, government, economics, uh, a strong economy, built strategic alliances. Uh, he would go down in history as one of the greatest organizational military leaders of all time. So much so that Adolf Hitler uh, uh, kind of took notes on the entire Roman Empire and the rise of Rome and built that into all of his campaigns and organizational and military tactics. Uh, Napoleon did the same thing. Um, in fact, his name was so great and people revered Caesar Augustus so much, Octavius is his real name, that they it, it inscribed um, his name or Caesar Augustus on um, uh, coins and then called him uh, the savior of the world that brings peace. Uh, this is very interesting. And in the, the birth of Jesus Christ, the prophetic news is, is that the Prince of Peace would be born, and yet the Savior of Peace is said to be Octavius. Um, he was a uh, military genius, and he did bring uh, a, a, a peace, uh, not one that would last everlasting as our King Jesus will, um, but uh, Augustus uh, had ended a hundred years of civil war, he achieved 40 years of internal peace and prosperity within the Roman Empire. His vision and power expanded uh, the Roman Empire to become far more than just a bunch of collections of little countries. Instead, it was a diverse society, enormous marketplace in which people across Europe, Africa, North Africa, the Middle East could trade and travel all under uh, Rome's protection. And there was a registration that needed to take place. What is this? AKA, uh, people needed to pay taxes. Uh, if you're uh, like most Americans, uh, you don't like to pay a lot of taxes. How many look forward to tax day? Raise your hand. N nobody. <laughs> uh, but you need taxes to pay for things. And so there is a decree that goes out, and look what it says. Uh, continuing on, verse 2, this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Uh, Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and he was implementing the, uh, the uh, plan for Caesar Augustus. It says, uh, verse 3, and all went to be registered, each to his uh, own town. Uh, 
Basically, Caesar wants more money, so Israel is going to be included in this. Every Jewish person, um, by Levitical law, had some right to land. Wouldn't that be cool if you just, because you're of your ethnicity, you get land? Um, Every Jew, according to Levitical law, uh, would have some kind of land, and Rome was basically saying you need to pay taxes uh, on the land that you've inherited. And so then, therefore, people, the Israelites, would go back to their land of registration and pay taxes. Um, This uh, taxation was a big problem uh, during this time frame. They did not like the heavy taxation. Um, They did not like the the strong power of Rome. Many of the early Christians would later be uh, persecuted uh, by the Roman Empire. Um, But Caesar Augustus is calling for this registration, not only for taxation, but also to get kind of an inventory on the population for military, uh, to see what kind of able men would be there. Uh, This is the context in which all of this is taking place. I imagine in Joseph and Mary's mind, they're thinking, this is scary. Uh, She is perhaps nine months pregnant, and they need to travel a good distance to go for this registration. So let's read uh, uh, or let's learn just a little bit more about the Roman culture, and then I'll walk through further more of the text. So this morning, it might feel a little bit more like a history lesson, but this is the objective of Luke, who's writing this gospel narrative to give a historical account about the details. So you as a Christian need to know the birth of Christ is a historical event. It's not just a mythical or legendary event. It takes place in real world history. Um, The Roman culture at this time is very polytheistic, meaning there's the worship of many different gods. Um, Israelites were monotheistic. They worshiped one god. this is, uh, they were also pluralistic, uh, so they would um, syncretize uh, different religions all together. It was a, a very much a melting pot. Uh, uh, be, uh, the Israelites, the Jewish po- folks were put up with in a sense. Uh, they would install client kings around, and even uh, the political leaders and the religious folks, they would have uh, kind of corrupt, corrupt relationships. And so it created a lot of uncertainty for the average believer. So the trip for Joseph and Mary, there's a lot of uncertainty uh, perhaps for them in this travel. Uh, Rome is a powerful place. It was estimated at 70 to 100 million people in the Roman Empire at this time. Uh, it, there, uh, some estimations are as far as 1 to 8 million different Jews were living in the Roman Empire. Rome as a city, there was uh, one million people in population at this time, uh, over 60,000 Jews. And to put that in perspective, London, um, major world international city, didn't hit one million people in population until 1800s. So this is the glory of Rome in which Jesus is born into from a human perspective. This is the most powerful empire ever. Uh, and It is being ruled by Caesar Augustus. He creates what's called the Pax Romana. It is a long extended season of peace, largely a stable empire, united politically, legally. Um, It was a safe place uh, if you were a Roman citizen. 
uh, in many regards. They paved over 50,000 miles of roadways, which would later serve to the early church's advancement of the gospel. They would use these roadways to disseminate information for preaching tours, church planting, and the like. So enough about um, Rome. Let's continue on and see this journey. Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, it says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee. Joseph goes up. Uh, he's going to travel some distance to get there. He, he is uh, from the town of Nazareth. Um, Nazareth is a little no-name town. It'd be like a border town. Um, over the Christmas break, I'm going to go take some time. I've got to study and prep for the New Year's message, but I'm going to take a little bit of time, go down to border country and uh, hunt some quail with my, my kids. Um, but you know and I know going to border country can be a little dangerous. Uh, Nazareth was a, a little bit of a dangerous area. It, it was said by Nathan, one of the disciples, that said nothing good could come out of Nazareth. It would be like what you would think of maybe of Nogales or some other border town where you're like, ah, oh, there's some, you got to be careful. Nazareth, Nazareth was an insignificant agricultural village. Um, it is also the place from which Jesus' mother came from, in which Jesus grew up. Uh, the name Nazareth means literally watchtower. Jesus has very humble beginnings. Um, but Joseph is going up. It's some 90 miles or so uh, from Nazareth to Bethlehem, where we're going to see where he goes, and it's uphill. Imagine that, ladies. Um, how many of you ladies have uh, been pregnant before, carried to full term, nine months? Anybody? Okay. My wife had two kids, and um, Mary is very, very pregnant on this journey. Um, this would, I can't imagine the conversation if I said to Leslie, sweetie, I feel like God's calling us to go up the hill here, about 90 miles uh, into, uh, you know, uh, Munns Park, Flagstaff area, up into there, and we're going to go, and you're going to ride a donkey. Uh, she would say, do you see how pregnant I am? This is not going to work. And I would say, well, I read in the prophet Micah 5.2, this needs to happen. We're going to go up the hill. And we got it. This child's going to be born up the hill. <laughs> and by the way, we got to go pay taxes. Like this does not sound good. Uh, this is the events of the birth of Jesus Christ. And so they go, the scripture says, Joseph also went up. Mary didn't have to go by, um, by Roman law. But Mary went um, probably to escape any shame or accusations against her because they, the rumor was that the baby came out of wedlock. And so Joseph wants her to come along, it seems, or Mary wanted to come. We don't know, but they go up together and they, they, they head up that way. Um, let's see what it says about uh, where they're going. It says that they're going to the city, uh, continuing on in the verse, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Um, Bethlehem is the location of the birth of Jesus Christ. Um, Bethlehem is a real place. It is not in Neverland. It is not in a galaxy far, far away. It is not in Narnia. It is not in uh, Middle Earth. Uh, it is not in Whoville. Uh, it was prophesied by the prophet Micah some 
um, 700 years earlier. It's Joseph's hometown. That's why he's going there. He had ancestral land there. Um, the word means the house of bread, Bethlehem. It, it is interesting that Jesus himself later in one of the greatest sermons, he would say that he is the bread of life. Uh, this is where he would be born. It was a small town, approximately 15,000 inhabitants. It was 90 miles from Nazareth, uh, five miles south of Jerusalem. And in the first service, I got this wrong. And, uh, so, and I asked somebody for some feedback on my message and they told me I got it wrong. So I'm gonna tell you what I got wrong and then tell you what's right. I said, it's 2,300 miles from Phoenix. <clears throat> and here's what happened. Right before the service, I'm like, man, it'd be really cool to share with them how far is Phoenix from Bethlehem. So, you know, I did what every other American does from time to time. Hey, Siri, how far is Bethlehem from Phoenix? And just you ask Siri, you think you got everything? Well, little did I know that she would pick um, Pennsylvania. And, and the, nobody in the first service said anything. It was just like, oh, yeah, sure, it's 2,300 miles. It's like 7,300 miles, okay? I'm going to go over there this spring, uh, Lord willing, and uh, get to walk around and see the birthplace. What is my point? My point is it's a real historical place. It's a journey. Um, it's a beautiful place. And um, the greatest importance is the relation to King David. Jesus comes from a long line of King David. And so he's going... Uh, Joseph is and Mary are traveling back in alignment with what Caesar Augustus wants, King Caesar, but it's really in line with the high king of heaven and what he has purposed and planned, uh, that Jesus Christ would be born in Bethlehem. Um, Bethlehem is also, the prophet Micah calls it, um, I'll just turn there for a second in Micah 5.2. It, it is a prophecy about Jesus' birthplace. And uh, it says, But you, O Bethlehem, Epephrathath, that's my best Hebrew pronunciation, uh, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, of, from ancient days. Um, this was a prophecy, the name Epephrathath, is actually the ancient name of Bethlehem. It's a historical location in which the birth of Christ took place, and it was promised and planned by God far before Caesar Augustus ever planned it. So this is the journey they are going on. Then we see the birth of Jesus Christ, verses 6 through 7. Let's read this. Very simple, very clear, nothing dramatic uh, is the details of the birth of Jesus Christ in this account. It says, and while they were there, they're in Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth. So you would think if you were brand new to ever reading the Bible that something special would happen. It'd be a great birthplace. It would be a very wonderful reception, a very heartwarming experience. You know, God has called them there. They show up to Bethlehem. And here's what Luke records for us, verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Um, 
Jesus is the firstborn son. Uh, there's two meanings behind that. Number one is that uh, he is the rightful king in the nation of Israel being in line with King David from his ancestry. So that makes him a legitimate uh, king, just as the prophecies had promised. And so even at the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, the Romans insisted that they have tacked onto the cross um, Jesus, king of the Jews. Uh, the, the, Is the Israelites, the other Jewish people did not like that at all because they did not see Jesus as a king. Uh, but Jesus' uh, ancestry made him that. But also the firstborn, I think, for us to understand in some Christian circles, it's said that Mary never had a lot of kids um, or never went on to have more babies and, and whatnot. And Jesus didn't have siblings. That's not true at all. He's the firstborn of many more kids to come. In fact, the Gospel of Mark and the uh, Gospel of Matthew record and state the names of Jesus' siblings. There's James and there's Joseph and Jude and Simon. And these are the brothers of Jesus and the son of Mary. And the same verses also mention the unnamed sisters of Jesus. So Jesus grew up with a big family, a lot of brothers and sisters. Uh, he is the firstborn. As a child, he would be uh, wrapped in these swaddling uh, cloths. And there's significance to this. There's three different uh, thoughts on the, the wrapping of the child. Number one, it was just a real practical sense that when a child is born, and if it's going to be laid in a manger where there's hay, a, a feeding trough, if you will, then it would protect the child from its flailing arms that would get hurt perhaps on the, the wood, the hay, the stubble, the thorns. Secondly, it, it was a, a, a physical purpose. It would keep the limbs straight. It, would, uh, it was to, to be believed that if you wrapped the child, it would just keep them straight, and so they wouldn't, have any, they wouldn't grow with any deformities. Um, I think there's probably an emotional sense, too, though, that if you just, that child's been wrapped up in a womb for so long that when the child comes out, it's nice to keep that child very snug. Um, and the third purpose would be a spiritual purpose. It was thought by many that it would be a spiritual symbolism that you would wrap their limbs and wrap their uh, legs together as a signifier that they would live a, a, and walk on the straight and the narrow. And so this is all takes place. It says that uh, th this took place. It, it, they laid him in a manger. Um, some think that it was a cave, but the Bible indicates it was a manger. A manger is a feeding trough. Uh, there was no place for them in the end. This would have been a physical location, maybe like a KOA uh, that we think of, but it would have been a public KOA. And I don't think that we can read into the text the idea that the innkeeper was just really mean and rude. I think that Joseph and Mary aren't standing outside kicking at the door and go, don't you know we have the Savior? You know, I mean, they just want to have a place uh, for their child. And um, there's no room for them in the end. And it's in a very humble setting that uh, Jesus uh, is uh, born into our world. Here's what Charles Haddon Spurgeon had to say about it. Uh, he said, if you want to find the Christ child, you don't climb to the top of the ladder of intelligence. Rather, you go low and you find him in his humility. Uh, we find Jesus Christ at the, the birth event in a very humble setting, very, very, very humble setting. The king of the world is uh, who really eternally existed, who God who took on flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, 
is birthed in, in, a, in an, a, a manger, uh, in, an, in an area, perhaps like a two-story building, where they have residents up top and they would keep their livestock uh, down below or perhaps the camels or the parking area for the transportation. They didn't have cars, so obviously they're using uh, animals for travel. This is the kind of environment our Lord is born into. He, you don't go to the philosophers of Athens or the gladiators of Rome or to the kings or the elites, but you see Jesus in the everyday, in the ordinary people with people and places. This is our Lord. So what do we learn? Three truths to unlock joy in the journey. Number one, I would say for you and me, um, I think that we need to realize in this storyline is seeing a couple things, powerful truths. Number one, that disruptions become divine appointments. It was a disruption for Joseph and Mary to make a 90-mile journey uphill while pregnant to do this. It was a disruption for Joseph to find out that his uh, fiance is already pregnant with child, so much so he freaks out and panics and wants to get a divorce with her. It's a disruption. I think there's two different disruptions that happen in the Christian life. Number one would be what I call a disruptive calling. Number two, a disruptive circumstances. And what's amazing about this disruption, though, as we see it in the storyline of Scripture, is what a terrible time for King Caesar to issue a decree to travel while she's very well pregnant with child. But God uses it for his sovereign purposes and plan to fulfill what the prophet Micah had already said some uh, 500, 700 years before that the child needed to be born in Bethlehem. It was a divine appointment. Caesar issues the decree, but God issued it first. Amen? One of the things that you need to see in your Christian life is that um, there are what I call disruptive uh, callings and disruptive circumstances that occur in your life, and you should see them as divine appointments. God is in control of all things. He works all things together. Here's what the Bible has to say about it. Romans 8, 28. What an encouraging word for us as believers, despite, despite any kind of disruptive circumstance or calling that we may have, the Bible tells us, and we know, Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, those are believers, that's you and me, all things work together for good. All things, even the bad things, even the tough things, even the sad things. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You can have a disruptive circumstance in your life. Maybe you're going through a significant financial loss. Uh, something happened. You made the wrong mistake. God can use all things together for good. Maybe there's a, a, a physical loss. You lost a loved one in your life. God's word tells us he can use all things for good. Maybe, you're going, maybe the report came back and you've got cancer or there's significant health issues that you can't beat. The Bible tells us that he can use all things together. Disruptive circumstances can be divine appointments. Sometimes you don't see it until you get to the other side of the trial. This is why James said, consider it pure joy, my, my friends, when you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance and faith. 
Disruptive circumstances. What kind of disruptive circumstance are you facing? Maybe there's rebellious kids, or maybe you can't have a kid. Maybe you've lost a kid. Maybe there's troubled relationships. It's a disruptive circumstance in your life. So what are we to do? We're called to have joy in the journey. That's what we're called to do. Joy in the journey. Uh, We don't get the sense in the case that Joseph or Mary um, are walking in uh, absolute um, uh, anguish towards Bethlehem. Uh, They faithfully go. They're said to be righteous people. They're said to be servants of the Lord. Uh, This is uh, the mindset that we must have as believers is servants of the Lord that seek to fulfill our calling. There's also a disruptive calling that can occur in the life of a believer. It starts when you come to faith in Jesus Christ and you place your faith in Jesus Christ. You lose relationships sometimes. Many of you that have placed your faith in Christ and became a Christian later in life, you realize that it shifts your social spheres. It's a disruptive calling. Some of you have made decisions based on what you believe the Holy Spirit and God's Word and God's people said to you, and you believe that God was calling you into an area of life, and it was going to be incredibly challenging, and it's disruptive. When you look back at biblical history and you look at people that made a difference in the Bible, you see they have disruptive callings that are divine appointments. God showed up in a burning bush for Moses. God showed up on the road to Damascus for the Apostle Paul. And what a divine appointment. What kind of disruptive calling could God be doing in your life? Because you need to know that you're supposed to have joy in the journey and disruptive circumstances or disruptive callings are never easy but there's joy when you can see them as divine appointments. Amen? If you can look at your life and say, everything works together for the good. God's got my back. I can walk through this. I'm claiming Romans 8.28 over my life. Man, disruptions become divine appointments. So you, so I think what happens in the Christian life, and I'm testifying to myself, is I can fool myself to believe that if my circumstances are all good, then my Christian life is all good. But I want to tell you something. I don't know for Joseph and Mary if they thought it was all good. They got no money. They're being accused. There's gossips and rumors. They're completely under turmoil. This is an incredibly challenging time, yet they're going to be faithful. So I want to encourage you to see a disruption, either a, div- a disruptive calling. Maybe God's calling you to start a new project. Maybe he's starting, calling you to start a new ministry. You be faithful to that and see it as a divine appointment. Maybe there's a disruptive circumstance in your life. Be faithful in that and see it as a divine appointment. God is sovereign. Uh, What looked like a terrible situation at the the beginning of a new life, go and pay a bunch of taxes to Caesar, uh, is actually a divine appointment from God the Father, the high king of heaven, to say, no, we're going to fulfill some prophecy today. Micah 5.2 is about to happen. So number two, three truths to unlock joy in the journey. Number two, decisions determine direction. When you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, that changed your eternal direction of your life. 
Every person that chooses to follow Jesus Christ, it changes their whole life for an eternity. Every soul on the planet lives forever. You live in one or two locations. You live in heaven or you live in hell eventually. It changes the internal direction. And the Bible tells us that we need to believe in our heart, confess with our mouth, and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and we will be saved. The Bible also tells us that the beauty and the power behind it is that um, God has planned an eternity past. And so when we've confessed our Lord as Savior, God reveals to us he was already working way ahead of time and planned it all out before you ever got there. Decisions determine direction. When I got married, that changed things. There's a whole new direction. There's a divine calling. If you're a single person and you you make a decision that you're going to get married, you've got a new divine calling upon your life. You're now, you're not just a single man or a single woman. You're a husband or a you're a wife. When you have kids, you change and you move to another calling in life and you get to be a parent. And then when the grandchildren come, you get to be a grandparent. These are the things that God calls us to. There's decisions that determine the direction. Some of you have a decision to make. Maybe it's a career. Do you start or stop it? Maybe there's a position or an occupation, military, police, ministry. Decisions determine direction. Maybe it's family. You want to have kids or you want to adopt. Maybe it's how to care for your, the elderly family members in your family. Maybe it's letting somebody move in. Maybe it's having pets or no pets. Maybe it's having dogs or, God forbid, cats. I'm just joking. We had a cat, and um, I said he couldn't stay inside, and, and uh, he didn't last long. So I'm sorry to say. Uh, his name was Hunter. His job was to kill scorpions, and he did a good job. And, uh, but one day we saw coyotes in the neighborhood and we believe that's where he is. Whooping the coyotes, yeah. Um, But the decisions that you have to make, uh, maybe it's finances. Do you buy? Do you rent? Do you take out a loan? Do you not? Do you tithe? Do you save? Do you spend? Do you write a will? Who do you give your resources to when you pass? Do you budget? Do you not budget? These are all decisions that determine your direction. But the The decision for Joseph and Mary and the greatest decision that you need to make is this decision is, will you be a faithful servant to the Lord? The day is coming. Let it be said today. You will face King Jesus face to face and you will give account for your life. And your journey is right here and right now. It is the sanctification journey. It is growing in holiness. It is choosing every single day to follow Jesus and live for Jesus. Leverage your life for his glory and for his story. And this is the goal for your life. Success as a Christian looks like this. Faithful servant. That's it. And Jesus modeled this beautifully. Humble birth. Not born in the pompous palace of Rome, but in a manger. I think when you bring it down to your kids, your grandkids, or to yourself, I want to be successful. Here's success. Am I faithful to Jesus Christ with what he gave me? Am I faithful to the Lord? Can I be a, can I, people see me as a servant? I saw a young man after first service and he says, Pastor Ryan, I'm so glad to be back for Christmas. I'm 
University of Arkansas, and I'm in ROTC Army, and, and I'm, I've got big dreams and visions of how God could use me. I want to be a medic in the field and all this stuff. And I put my hand on his shoulder, and I said, you know, that's a public servant. That's a great occupation. He said, that's my heart's desire. I want to serve God by serving in the military. I want to serve God by serving people. Like, what a great heart for a young man to have. Um, decisions determine direction. I think probably the greatest decision that you could make is that you choose to leverage your whole life to serve Jesus and to serve people. That's probably the best investment you could ever make. I remember sitting down with my dad years ago and telling him, Dad, I, I love my dad. He's a great patriarch in our family. And I said, Dad, I, I'm praying about uh, going into ministry. And at first he was a little reluctant. He's like, son, you should start a business. You've done that. And he's like, well, maybe if you go into ministry, you should start a church because you've started stuff before. He said, I don't know, son. He said, but whatever you do, listen to this. He said, whatever you do, do this. Invest in the lives of people. He's like, it's better than any kind of other investment you could make. Invest into people and help them know God. I want you and me to make a huge impact in the world around us. I think you're going to find more joy when you choose to follow Jesus Christ in your life, in your journey, day by day. Here's your prayer, Lord Jesus, today I want to be a faithful servant. Serve your kids serve your wife, serve your husband, serve your neighbor, serve your friends, serve your family. Might it be true of you when you meet Jesus face to face? He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Decisions determine direction. It's exactly what happened with Joseph. Remember, he didn't uh, like the idea of Mary being pregnant outside of uh, um, wedlock. It says this, jo uh, Matthew 1:19. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, uh, uh, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. He wanted to break it up. That was his mindset. And then an angel of the Lord appears, Matthew 124. Uh, angel showed up and told him that's not a good idea. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel, the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife, changed his mind, made a decision, made a huge redirection in life. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son uh, was born and Joseph named him Jesus. Decisions matter. Your decision matters. Every decision you make, it matters. Number three in closing is this. Realize that three truths to unlock joy in the journey is serving requires sacrifice. Just understand in the Christian life that it requires sacrifice. Immediately when uh, Mary is told that she's going to give birth to a child, her response is, is she says, behold, I'm, I'm the servant. I'm a servant for you. I'm a servant of the Lord. That's how she sees herself. This is how Jesus calls us to be. This is what the apostles called us to be, like Christians are to be servants. Serving requires sacrifice. And servants, um, they have to make sacrifices for their master. And who is the master? Jesus. Um, later in, in uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 34, you can go look at it later, but Mary, after the birth of Jesus, visits a really godly individual by the name of uh, Simeon. And she goes and she presents the baby to Simeon. 
And then Simeon basically gives a prophecy and saying like, praise God, this was promised to me that I would see the Messiah. I would see the Christ before I, I died. Today is the day, hallelujah. And then Simeon says this to Mary, hey, this baby, he, he will uh, rule over nations, but this baby will pierce your soul. He will cause so much pain in your life. What is my point? My point is this, is that the Christian calling is not a, a calling of service simply. It's a, for success and ease and peace and comfort. It's a Christian calling into sacrifice. That our life is a sacrificial offering to God. That you leverage all of your talent, all of your time, all of your treasure unto God. This is what the Apostle Paul said to the church in Rome. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, he sacrificed everything on the cross, you should to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Joy in the journey? Here's how. You serve the Lord. You seek, say, I want to be a faithful servant of the Lord. This is why and this is how we find joy in the journey. We lower the bar of success. I got to make tons of money. I got to be super successful. I have to have power and fame and influence too. We lower the bar to go, no, I just want to be faithful. I want to be faithful to Jesus Christ, faithful to love God and love people. And when you do that, here's what happens. There's a pressure that comes off that you don't have to live up to the world standards. You just have to answer before the audience of one. Every single day, you go, was I faithful to do what I needed to do to honor the Lord? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We thank, thank you for the example we find in scripture. We find joy in the journey of life as we uh, seek to see that you can use disruptions for divine appointments. Lord, knowing that our decisions determine direction. And Father, finding joy in serving you, like Mary said, after all of this took place, she just sat there and she treasured up all of what has happened. Might we treasure up all that you're doing in our life and might you unlock for us a greater joy in our journey called the Christian life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope that you can find more joy in the journey of the Christian life. I pray that uh, during the season, during Christmas, the goal and the ambition ought to you, for, for you to be is ought to be worship Jesus. Give thanks to him. Um, this morning, before I step off, I want to say uh, thank you for all of you who give financially to invest into the church and the ministries and the missions of the church. I mentioned last Sunday, if you weren't here that over 2022, we gave over $100,000 collectively, you, me, and our church family um, towards local and global outreach. And we'd got to do a ton of stuff. So if you missed all of the details of that impact, I wanna encourage you to watch uh, last week's service. And so thank you for that. Also shared how we took a little bit of a dip in November financially. And guess how good this is. Guess what, after the service, I walk back and some gentleman, I won't point him out, says, uh, pastor, see that the treasurer gets this gift. And as soon as anybody tells me that, I know it's, it's really gonna be good. <laughs> and I said, you got it. And then later that week, I sat down and it exceeded the deficit that we had in November 
And so I just want to say God is good. Um, thank you for your faithfulness as a church. Let's celebrate that just for a moment. Uh, also, this coming week, um, our elders are going to approve our 2023 budget, Lord willing. We worked really hard with the staff and our accountant uh, to make sure everything's buttoned up and looking good. I will say that we're going to plan very conservatively for 2023, knowing um, kind of just how things are unfolding with the economy and circumstances. Um, I believe that um, we'll probably exceed all of our budget ex expectations and it'll go great for 2023. Uh, I'll share with you too some really, really good news. We believe that we're going to end the year, year to date, with over $100,000 in the positive. Um, and so that's something to celebrate real quick. Dude. Um, so that doesn't mean don't give. So please know that you have to give in order for us to meet our goals, uh, for December. Um, so I give, I give out of my regular paycheck, anything extra that comes in, I always tithe. If I don't, I should be repenting and asking the Lord to forgive me because I want God's blessing and favor. And I don't want to be a hypocrite. I want to be a model and an example and to serve the Lord. Um, and I believe there's favor and blessing in that. And then um, also, I want you to know, I'm so proud of this. Um, our budget for 2022 was just under a million dollars. That means we planned to spend nearly a million dollars. And guess what? For 2022, we believe that we're going to come in right at our expenses. That means we planned everything out and we executed and managed excellently. Can we celebrate that? That is good. I'm very proud of that. Our staff team does good, our finances uh, and our, um, all, all that's going on. So I'm proud of that. I'm really thankful for that. So I just pray that you be generous. I don't want, ever want you to give out of reluctance, guilt, or in some way thinking that you're going to buy your way into heaven. Give because you're excited to partner with Jesus and his church. Give because you want God's blessing and favor over all that you manage. It's all his. When you tithe, it's like honoring the Lord with all of your income. It represents all of it. And you're saying, Lord, it's all yours. And Jesus becomes more your master than money when you honor him first. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, all the giving that happens in the church for the next several weeks, um, as we look at year end and just right after year end, we pray, blow the doors off of generosity so that we can do far more missions and ministry than we've ever done. While we will plan conservatively, Lord, we pray for your extraordinary grace and, and provision. And Father, for those that are giving faithfully, might you bless them with just encouragement, um, Lord, emotionally, spiritually, financially. Um, Father, for those that have never given, might they do it um, as an act of obedience, but only from a heart of joy, only from a cheerful, giving heart, that we can become better givers and more generous people for your glory and your story. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Well, thanks so much. In the new year, I'll share with you how we're hoping to use all the year-to-date uh, income. We've got some exciting projects that we're wanting to work on in 2023 and 2024. And so, uh, Lord willing, we finish strong and we can do all that. So make sure you don't miss our New Year's time together. Um, let's continue to worship.
Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.